just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. So far, so good for mine. Yesterday kind of sucked. It was cold. It was about 30 degrees, which is good for the winter here in Minnesota. But for Christ's sake, it's April. 30 degrees is low for this time of year. And then we got these high winds and we got a little bit of snow. It just sucked. I was feeling sorry for myself until I heard about North Dakota. I understand North Dakota got 20, 30, 40 inches, a ridiculous amount of snow. I saw some pictures on TikTok and uh, on the Internet and stuff, and it's crazy. I mean, I've been in snowstorms like that before, and here's what I can tell you about that. No matter how experienced the area you live in is with snow, clearing snow, because in Minnesota, you can get a snowstorm of 10, 12 inches, and that'll get cleared off and things get running back to normal fairly quickly. But you get 20 inches or 30 inches or even 40 inches, that's fucked up. That's going to take a while. You're going to be stuck in the house for a while because it takes some time to clear all that off. And then the other problem is where do you put that shit? Now, granted, it's April, so it's probably going to melt off pretty quickly. In the last couple of years, I know in this part of the country, we've had kind of a drought, so our lakes have been low and such. So the extra snow is welcomed, but it is a bitch to deal with. Now, when I first heard about it, I said, well, North Dakota's a red state. Fuck them. Let them deal with it. Then I thought to myself, well, either on TikTok or the podcast, there's got to be somebody in North Dakota that listens. I don't want to piss them off. Then I thought, well, that's unlikely. Why would anybody in a red state be listening to me unless they were trying to troll me? So if you're in North Dakota and you're a friend, I apologize for putting down your state. But if you're in North Dakota and you listen to the podcast or the TikToks and you're a fucking troll, fuck you. Have fun with the fucking snow. All right. Since we're talking about people I don't like, Stephen Miller, remember him? He is that creepy cartoon villain-looking racist piece of shit who was also an advisor to former President Trump. He sat and testified in front of the January 6th committee. Actually, he did it on Zoom, but he did sit for testimony in front of the January 6th committee. And that was surprising because, you know, he was one of the guys that was closest to Donald Trump and all these fuckheads don't want to sit down and talk. They've got executive privilege, which, of course, they don't, but they love to spew about it. Now, we remember that when the January 6th committee deposed Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, it was kind of interesting They didn't claim executive privilege. They didn't plead the fifth. The committee, in fact, said that the interviews went pretty well. Now, Stephen Smith, you have to understand, he participated in meetings prior to the insurrection, planning the insurrection. He wrote the speech that Donald Trump gave on January 6th. Well, the reviews on Stephen Miller's testimony weren't quite that positive. 
They said at times Miller was difficult. They said at times it got a little chippy. I don't know what that means. The only term chippy I've heard is when um, you're playing sports, football, hockey, whatever. And when it starts to get dirty, they call that chippy. I don't know how that relates to somebody who's in politics in the middle of a deposition, but I can kind of imagine. I mean, what do they mean by that? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I can tell you we've seen that behavior from Miller before when he's been in media interviews. He's a typical Trumplefuck. He doesn't understand facts or truth. All he knows is to talk louder and longer. He diverts, distracts, and employs whataboutisms. He's always taking you off the topic. You can hit him hard between the eyes with something that is very damning, and he deftly slips it and goes off into something else. So you don't get much information from him because he's like other Republicans and he's an obstructionist. That's not exactly conducive in the uh, framing of a deposition. So apparently um, the January 6th committee wasn't quite as pleased with uh, Stephen Miller as they might have been with uh, Ivanka and Jared. Now, Stephen Miller also tried to claim executive privilege. Now, we know that's gone all the way to the Supreme Court, and turns out that's not a thing, not for Donald Trump anyway. Um, We know it's a lot of bullshit. You may recall the last time that Miller talked about executive privilege. You remember this? It's when they demanded Miller's phone. He said he couldn't do that because it would expose his parents' private data. What the fuck? Yeah, apparently tough guy Stephen Miller, who's married and has kids, is still on his parents' plan. (laughs) Wow. Fucking wow. That's what I love about these people. They are acting like tough guys. They say the shit they say, but uh, they're basically just children. They're trying to get over on everybody, and clearly... Somebody like Stephen Miller is trying to get over on his parents, trying to save a buck. I mean, this guy is an advisor for the president of the United States. You mean to tell me he doesn't have enough wherewithal to get his own phone plan where maybe he and his wife and at some point down the road, his kids will get on it? What, are they just going to keep adding to mom and dad's or grandma and grandpa's (laughs) phone plan? Fuck. Stephen Miller is the one guy I hate the most because he's got this smug look on his face. He tries to act very intelligently, but when you hear him talk, you realize, this is a dumb motherfucker. He came in with uh, uh, the attorney general, forgot his name, the one before Bill Barr. And uh, then he connected up with Donald Trump, and he's been Donald Trump's kiss-ass ever since. And so... Whenever you'd see him on screen, he would do what all the Trump fucks do when he was on a media interview. Somebody would ask him a hard question, and he'd divert about, I don't know, uh, Hillary's emails or the laptop or whatever. It's always, well, yeah, that's bad, but what about this, the whataboutisms? And that's all he ever did. That's all he ever had the ability to do. But he's a perfect match for Donald Trump because that's what Donald Trump's about. If you watch Donald Trump, there is no substance there. 
You ask him a question that's pretty pointed and uh, pretty damning, and he'll just ignore it as if it didn't happen or it doesn't exist. And that's exactly what Stephen Miller does, and that's probably why Stephen Miller is a close advisor to Donald Trump. I have to believe that given what we know about Stephen Miller, he may end up being one of the targets for this insurrectionist problem. I think they probably have all the information about Stephen Miller they need, uh, in, uh, in spite of the fact they sat him down to uh, talk. Uh, I think they do that just to verify various things they already know. They do know pretty much everything about what was going on there uh, leading up to January 6th. And uh, it's all going to come to fruition on television when they start having the televised hearings. Now, when I first heard about these televised hearings, I heard they were going to be in March. And now we're talking about end of May, early June. And I'm have to, having to wonder why would they do that? Well, I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's about exposure. It's about exposure. We have this war in Ukraine with Russia. And it's taking up a lot of media time. When they start doing these televised hearings, they want everybody watching it. They want everybody focused on it. They want to be the lead story in every newscast. I hate to say it, they're waiting for the war to be over or to slow down or whatever. And then they'll bring out the big guns in these televised hearings. And it's going to be a problem for these fucks because... Uh, they are going to expose a lot of things, a lot of things that uh, they know are there and are just waiting for them to drop. And uh, all the diversion in the world won't be any good to them at that point. Now, while we're talking about the insurrection, one of the insurrectionists or the patriots was on trial for his actions during the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. He stormed into the U.S. Capitol, stole liquor <laughs> and a coat rack. See, they're very bright. Get the liquor, get the coat rack, sell it on eBay, and get drunk. That's all they were thinking about. He, uh, he ended up being charged with six charges, and they are as follows. Number one, obstructing an official proceeding. Number two, theft of government property, a la liquor, <laughs> and the coat rack. I hope that was worth it to him. Number three, illegally entering the Capitol. Number four, illegally protesting in the Capitol. And there were two more counts of disorderly conduct. Well, he went to trial, and of course he's got some brilliant defense in mind. And uh, here's how it went. His defense was that he was simply following President Trump's order. He said, besides being ordered to go to the Capitol, I don't know what I was thinking. Then he said, I was caught up in the moment. If the president is giving you almost an order to do something, I felt obligated to do that. If he was almost giving you an order, you feel obligated to follow up. <laughs> Oh, pal, you're losing here. He was also reported to have said, you know, when I was young, I didn't have a strong male role model in my life. He was hoping to get approval from Donald Trump. Oh, poor boy. He didn't have a daddy that loved him, and he thought if he did this for Donald Trump that Donald Trump would love him. 
Are you fucking stupid? He doesn't know who you are, care who you are, and if you go to jail, he could give two fucks. This just shows how dumb Trump fucks are. They think they're they're uh, making a buddy in Donald Trump uh, by virtue of uh, doing his bidding, and you're not. Well, he also um, also finished out the trial, and of the six charges. <laughs> he was found guilty of every motherfucking one of them. The jury only went and deliberated for about three hours, so they were sure about this shit. He was found guilty of all six charges, and one of the biggest penalties of the six charges calls for up to a 20-year sentence. So this man is going to be in jail for a while. The guilty findings will have some bearing on future trials, It'll affect those and maybe make them heavier sentences. And it won't be in a good way <laughs> for the defendants. And those defendants um, plan to use the defense, any of those defendants who plan to use the defense that Donald Trump asked me to do it, so I had to do it. Yeah, that's not going to pull anything because the uh, judge admonished Donald Trump, called him a charlatan. So you don't have a buddy in this judge when it comes to what's going on uh, with the Republicans and the insurrection. Now, this guy was just a guy. He was a 38-year-old exterminator. He had a couple of kids and a wife. And one weekend, he decides, I'm going to fucking Washington, D.C. I'm storming the Capitol. I'm going to be a patriot. I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to be in the history books. <laughs> Well, that's what we call fuck around and find out, right? He did just that. And that's what I was talking about in the podcast uh, a day or two ago. These people honestly believe that they were doing the right thing. They honestly believe that they were going to save the country, that they were being heroes. That Donald Trump truly was the president of the United States, that he actually won and that the election was stolen. That's the troubling thing here. These people actually believe that. But then when they see proof that they're wrong, they won't own up to it. No, they'll double down and triple down and uh, get into the lie. Because at that point, it's just about their agenda and furthering their agenda. So they may have been wrong, but they'll certainly never admit that. All they will do is keep pushing forward and trying to make people believe and they'll try to do whatever they can to delay things, create chaos, make, uh, make up some things that will cause confusion so they can delay their ultimate loss. You see, these people are used to losing. <laughs> this has been their life. I mean, as much as you look at Donald Trump and you think, well, he must be a winner. He's been rich all his life. He's a billionaire. He's this. He's that. The fact of the matter is Donald Trump has lost every step of the way. In high school, he had horrible grades. How do I know that? Well, he told the high school that if you release my grades to the press, I'm going to sue you. He made up lies about being in college and how he was academically gifted, like he was one of the smartest guys in the college. And that, of course, wasn't true. When he got into business, Daddy had a lot of money. Daddy gave him a job. He said, go out and try to make some money, make some things happen. 
And as much as Donald Trump tried over and over again, every time he's failed. Every time. And then every time, Daddy bailed him out. The absolute proof of his failuredom is when he opened the casinos. Now, how do you open a casino and have that fail? <laughs> it's rigged for the casino. There's no way you should lose. And some people have said, how did he lose on that? Well, I'll tell you how he lost on that. Of course, he's got delusions of grandeur. And when he decided to build this Taj Mahal casino in New Jersey, he thought, well, I'm the most important guy in the world, so this has got to be the biggest, the best, the most important casino in all the world. So he started building it. And as he was building it, his financial advisor said, look, Nani, you're putting too much money into this. You've got a certain nut you've got to crack every day with this casino. And the way this casino is built, you can't reach that number to pay your bills for building this thing. You need to pull it back a little bit. Build the casino. That's cool. But don't make it so ridiculously ostentatious. Pull it back. Let's just make some money. And, of course, Donald Trump doesn't listen to advisors. He doesn't talk to them. And he just says, nope, we're doing it my fucking way. And he does. So he gets it built. He owes a lot of people money in the building trades. And the casino opens. And guess what? They're busy. They're doing business, but not enough business to pay the bills. Not enough business. In fact, I think at one point he needed a uh, a loan from his father. I don't know if it was $100,000 or $200,000 or something like that. It was a lot of money. And he was trying to figure out a backdoor way of getting a loan from dad without having to pay taxes on it or having it to be on the books or anything like that. So what he did is he had Dad come down and buy, I don't know if it was 100000 or $200,000 worth of chips. Then he took those chips in, took them home, and he never cashed them in. They're sitting someplace and never have been cashed in. But even that wasn't enough. He was probably just have to pay his liquor bill or something like that to keep liquor in the building. Well, ultimately what happened, he was bringing in far too little money to cover the expense of building the casino. He filed bankruptcy. The casino went to shit. And all the people that were owed money by Donald Trump for building this Taj Mahal bullshit never got paid. So that's how Donald Trump failed running a casino. But ever since then, everything he's done, he's failed in. And the people that follow him are probably similar to him. They've always failed. And because they've always failed, they needed a leader. And they wanted the leader that was the alleged tough guy, the one that talks the loudest, the one that acts like them, thinks like them, so they get behind him and believe him no matter what. Even when he makes mistakes, they think, well, he's still our guy. But unfortunately, like that casino, the Taj Mahal, Donald Trump himself and all these Trump fucks will spin out of control, crash, and fail miserably. Just a matter of time. All right, next up, the Republican National Committee has voted on Thursday to pull out of the 
Nonpartisan Commission on Presidential Debates. Now, this group organized debates between leading candidates for every presidential election since 1988. It's been a while. You'll remember that then-President Donald Trump skipped the second CPD debate with Joe Biden in 2020, um, mainly because he got his ass kicked the first time. He was embarrassed in the first debate. And he should have been, because he was absolutely ridiculous in that first debate. So he said, I'm going to pout. I'm not going to show up for the next debate. And see how you like that. Well, nobody gave a shit, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, of course, uh, Trump's take is that the CPD debates were unfair and biased because Donald Trump didn't win. He lost. And he said, well, I couldn't possibly lose. So you people are cheating for the Democrats. You are biased. So, of course, now RNC chair Ronna McDaniel, who was Mitt Romney's uh, niece or something, Pick that up, that same bullshit, and is pulling Republicans out of the debates because they, of course, are biased and unfair. Now, of course, this is a bipartisan company that's doing these debates. They've done them since 1988, and each of them have been involving Democrats and Republicans. Nobody's had complaints before. Well, not until now. Here's the problem with Republicans, or at least in the last five years. It's the way they react when they make choices. It's just all about reaction. It's all emotional. It's not thought out, and they have no foresight. They said they get into a debate, and they're, they're going to be asked. The problem is, if they get into the debate in 2024, they're going to be asked some very hard questions about Republicans and past criminal behavior. And they just as soon forget all those things. I mean, they're all over Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, Hillary's emails, but all the fucked up shit like overthrowing the country or attempting to, um, all the fucked up shit they did. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that. That's not a big deal. And they know if they get in this debate, they are getting set up to be exposed. As I've told you before, between now and November, we're going to see a lot of things coming out about the Republicans. The Democrats are going to do everything they can to destroy them. And they are going to try to do everything they can to divert, distract, and cover up any of those things or deny those things. And when it would culminate with a debate, and they stand up there, and there are some rules to this debate. It's not like being on the media where you can bullshit around. I mean, this is why Donald Trump didn't come back for the second debate. He didn't have the freedom to be as slippery as he normally is when he's talking. He had to ask or answer direct questions. So now the Republicans are going to have a lot of things to answer for. And it's bad enough that all this has been in the news. But if these Republicans can't answer to these uh, crimes and corruption, they're going to look bad. So now this is really why they don't want to be in the debates. But as usual, this will hurt them. Like I say, they, they act, they react. It's out of emotion. I'm mad at you, so I'm going to punish you right now. 
And really what they were thinking is they want to control how these debates are run. They want to change some things. And given that it's a bipartisan company that runs this, why would they take direction from either side, Democrats or Republicans? They're not going to do that. So since they're not going to do that, the Republicans will say, well, we're just not going to be involved and they won't have a company anymore and they'll cave for us because we're bullies. Well, they aren't going to do that. And this is going to be a mistake for the Republicans because come debate time, everybody's going to say, well, we would have had debates, but the Republicans didn't want to do it. And that will be perceived as they are afraid to do it which is probably true, given all that we know. So in spite of the fact that they won't be asked the hard questions, they won't be exposing in a debate of all the corruption and the criminality, they are still going to look stupid. They're in a no-win situation, really. If they were really confident that what they were doing was right, they'd go into the debate and they'd explain it. And it'd be as simple as that. But they know better. They know they're wrong. They know they're criminals, and they know they're corrupt. So sitting in that debate is a setup, especially when this will be ramping up between now and November, all the horrific things from the insurrection to whatever else is going on out there. It's all going to come to light, and people are going to see it, and they're going to want to hear what the Republicans have to say about it. But we know the Republicans just like to ignore shit, and that is not going to work well for them. And when they decide not to uh, participate in the debates with whoever the Democratic candidate is, that's going to be yet another problem for them. And this is why I tell you, don't worry so much about November in the midterm. Certainly don't worry about 2024. Donald Trump won't be anywhere near the candidacy for the Republican Party in 2024. It's just not going to happen. Republicans are running scared right now. They don't have a lot going for them except rhetoric and bullshit. The only people that will be affected by the rhetoric and the bullshit will be the stupid fucks, the Trumpla fucks. But again, we're talking about 30, 32% of the public. That, uh, that doesn't beat anybody in an election. And it doesn't look like the Republicans are going to do much to help themselves with this election other than screaming about inflation or some other bullshit. They won't be talking about the real issues like insurrection, uh, the pandemic, and all those sorts of things. So don't expect the Republicans to show up in that debate. However, as we get closer to it and they realize how stupid they are by not showing up, watch for them to change their mind. They'll want to get in there and they'll go in and say, well, we'll come. We'll save your life if you do it our way. And I'm sure... Uh, the CPD will say, fuck you, we're not changing anything. This is bipartisan, and it has to be fair. No one gets to call the shots but us. So they'll probably end up caving and do it because they find that they have no other option at this point. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. So we'll be watching that, and we'll keep you posted regarding the debates, but that won't be coming up till September, October, or whatever it is. So that's a ways down the road. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. In the last episode of the Rational Boomer podcast, we talked about uh, Russia losing its flagship in the Black Sea. It's called the Moskva or something like that. It means Moscow in Russian. 
Well, it's their biggest ship, and it's been in a lot of wars and a lot of fights. In fact, it's the same ship you remember early on in the war where they were going to blow up this island area where there were a bunch of Ukrainian warriors, and um, the people on the ship said, you must give up now. And the Ukrainians said, fuck yourself. That's the same ship. Now, this ship was parked near the uh, bay in Ukraine on the Black Sea with a bunch of other ships. And um, Ukraine claimed that they hit the Russian flagship with two Neptune missiles and took it out of commission. Now, they were very proud of this. These missiles were created and manufactured by Ukraine themselves. The Russians, of course, came back and said, oh, no, that's not what happened. We just had some ammunition accidentally explode. And that's how it got damaged. It caught fire. We had a fire going on. And then, of course, we had to evacuate the troops from the ship, which amounted to about 500 troops. Well, then we heard from Ukraine that the um, ship had actually sunk. It actually left the surface of the water and sunk into the bay. Now, at first, Russia said nothing. But uh, then there was some satellite photos that came out that showed a shot where here's the boat sitting in the bay, and then all of a sudden, it's no longer in the bay. So Russia knew they had to think of something at this point. Russia admitted that the ship sunk, but still suggested that it was an accidental explosion. It's funny, though. Russia has pulled out all its other ships back about 80 miles from that bay, from the shore. Now, if this ship exploded accidentally, and not by Neptune missiles, why would you feel it necessary to pull the remaining ships back 80 miles out of the range of these Neptune missiles? So typical of Vladimir Putin, so typical of the Russians, so typical of Donald Trump. They have a failure, they can't admit it, and they make up a lie. And that's what Vladimir Putin and the Russians did in this situation. Now, maybe the um, generals are making it up so Vladimir Putin doesn't get pissed off. Or maybe it's a situation they worked out between the generals and Vladimir Putin as to not let on to the rest of the world that uh, they failed a fucking gan, and they failed in a big way. Now, since we had the satellite photos, you could see the ship right there, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Uh, you didn't see it sinking or anything like that. So officially speaking, I guess we can't say we know for sure, but all the factors that are coming into play here tell us exactly what happened. And uh, given the history of Russia and Vladimir Putin, well, we can believe that it was likely hit with these Neptune uh, missiles and uh, Ukraine sunk this powerful military's main ship, the big ship in their naval <laughs> naval battery. But here's the funny thing about this. Ukraine sunk this huge battleship. <laughs> and Ukraine doesn't even have a fucking navy in this fight. They don't even have a navy. Uh, so it had to come from the shore. The missile had to be shot from the shore or possibly a drone. One of the explanations I've heard about this is um, these kinds of ships 
are very high-tech, and they track things in order to protect themselves. So what I hear what may have happened is uh, Ukraine sent a bunch of drones, not to shoot, not to drop anything. They sent drones out, a bunch of them, around the ship. So all this technology is looking at these drones and paying close attention to the drones, and then possibly from the shore or from land, they shot the Neptune missiles. And while all the technology was focused on the drones, the missiles slipped in and boom, bang, bong. And that fucking ship went down. And the Russians were outsmarted by the Ukrainians, people that Vladimir Putin doesn't even believe exist. He doesn't believe in Ukraine. He doesn't believe in Ukrainians. He'd just soon wipe them out, but he's not doing a very good job about it. Now, this is a huge embarrassment for Vladimir Putin and a huge boost to the morale of the Ukrainian military. It's got to be kind of a letdown as far as morale for the Russian military, too. The odds of something like this happening are very slim. So to get beat at the punch like this has got to be a gut punch for Russia. At this point, you got to understand that Putin is scared. He's confused and not sure what to do because nothing, nothing he's doing seems to work. The concern would be, what's he going to do now? Again, we go back to the narcissistic personality. They try to bully you, and as long as they're getting their way, everything goes relatively smoothly. Your life sucks, but it's going relatively smoothly. But then when you start questioning them, then they get angry, they get upset. And then when you back them in a corner, when they've got no way out, that's when it can get ugly, at least four times. They start flailing, they start screaming, they start getting violent. So something like this might very well be something that encourages Vladimir Putin to kick it up a notch. And the only way to do that, of course, is with chemical weapons or possible nuclear weapons. We don't know that he's willing to do that yet, but we've seen some signs of possible chemical weapons. So he certainly has the ability to do it. And as I've said before, he did use chemical weapons in Syria. He's raping, torturing, and killing men, women, and children, innocent civilians. So this guy doesn't have the greatest integrity. He's not a very moral guy. He is a uh, despot. He is a uh, brutal dictator. He is a murderer. And as Joe Biden has pointed out, he's a war criminal, and he's committing genocide. So he's not somebody you can trust in any situation. None at fucking all. So it's going to be interesting what's going on. Now, I just heard a report um, just a couple of hours earlier that in, in a town, and I don't remember what the town is. And it came on TikTok, and it came from a gentleman by the name of Aaron Parnas. Uh, he's a pretty sharp kid. He's a journalist, I believe, or a reporter. He is Ukrainian. Now, the funny thing is, you might know that name, Aaron Parnas. His father, remember him? He was one of the two Ukrainians that uh, were in it with Giuliani and Trump and ended up in jail. His dad is in jail currently. But this kid seems to be fairly straight. Uh, He's uh, in this country. He lives in this country. And he's getting a lot of information from his friends, family, and other media in Ukraine. So he's a good source. If you are on TikTok, I suggest you uh, friend Aaron Parnas. 
because uh, he does have a lot of good information. He doesn't spend a lot of time on it. So what happens when I get something from him, I have to take it, then I have to dig a little deeper and, and find out what actually is going on. But he has a finger on the pulse of what's going on there. So if you have an interest, I would check him out. He's got a lot of followers, too. You know, it's funny. He didn't have a lot of followers at first, and then he got uh, taken down by the trolls, and then he came back, and now he's got more than a million followers, given the circumstances and given what he knows. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. Vladimir Putin has other things weighing on his mind. He's getting a little scared right now because... He made a bet. He gambled. I'm going to go into Ukraine. They're going to welcome me. And we're going to weaken NATO. And it never really turned out that way. Two of Russia's geographical neighbors, Sweden and Finland, big countries with big militaries, will be pursuing membership in NATO now. They haven't been in NATO up to this point. And when you have countries this close to Russia who are NATO, clearly Russia looks at this as a threat. And Russia should see them as a threat. Let's be perfectly honest. NATO was formed to protect smaller countries who are going to be bullied by larger countries. This is a very specific crowd. All the small countries could be anybody in the Baltic, whatever. But the only one big bully country is Russia. So for all intents and purposes, NATO was formed to protect everybody else from Russia. So every time somebody joins NATO, Russia feels like it's a uh, a direct threat against them. And let's be honest, it is. It's not really a threat, though. It's kind of a wall of protection. They see it as a threat. NATO sees it as protection from potential threats from Russia. Because let's be honest, the only people out there invading other countries and trying to take them over is Russia. You don't see Poland or any of these other NATO countries trying to infringe on other countries. They get along, they work together. Russia is the only one that does this. Russia is the biggest bully country in the world. And NATO is there to protect the people in that organization. And now, you see, when he got mad at Ukraine, well, he's mad at Ukraine because they were talking about getting into NATO. And that would mean almost every every um, country that borders um, Russia on the west there would be NATO countries. So he sees these people as enemy, and they're right on his border. That makes him nervous. And he was trying to keep Ukraine from becoming a member of NATO. So so that's why he's mad and he's in Ukraine and trying to take it over and such. And he's hoping to weaken NATO and all of this. But while this is going on, just the opposite happens. Uh, people start to unite. In fact, uh, NATO's more unified than ever before, in spite of the fact that that's the opposite of what Vladimir Putin was trying to do. And now when he hears Sweden and uh, and Finland talking about uh, um, joining NATO, he is fucking freaking out. He is just fucking freaking out. Now, Putin is also ranting about something else. He made the statement. He said, whatever 
or whoever tries to interfere with us, and even more so to create threats for our country, for our people, should know that Russia's response will lead to consequences that you have never experienced in your history. Now, in that, he's also talking about people providing weapons and ammunition and other kinds of military uh, equipment, which is exactly what NATO is doing, which is exactly what America is doing. And they're kicking it up a notch now, now that Putin is going to be focused on eastern Ukraine. They're getting them all kinds of big-time weapons, howitzers, helicopters, things like that. All these Stinger missiles and those sorts of things. No doubt they'll have some other Neptune missiles as well, since they're so proud of it, Ukraine, and that they work so effectively. So this is making Vladimir Putin nervous. As I said in the previous uh, podcast, um, this is really a last shot for him to come out of this looking halfway decent. He hasn't been able to take over the whole country. His plan is now we'll just focus in the east, in the Donbass region. We'll win that, and then maybe we'll look at going back and taking Ukraine again. But the problem is, is if they keep start, uh, if America and NATO keeps sending all these powerful weapons to Ukraine, it's starting to even out as about man for man in Ukraine with Russia. They've enlisted a lot of people, a lot of men from Ukraine, and they're starting to get weapons now. Now it's starting to even out as far as um, troops on either side. There's a good chance that he's not going to be able to overtake Dumbas. And the problem there is, of course, that uh, if he's going to back out of Ukraine at any point in history, he's going to have to claim some win. So he wants this small win so he can save face and go back and act like the conquering hero. But by America and NATO countries sending all these weapons, now he's getting nervous about that. He's seeing what's happening. He's got ships in the bay sinking. He's losing um, tanks and planes and helicopters and other military equipment by the billions of dollars. So he's nervous about that. He thought he could just come in and uh, sweep these people away and do whatever he wanted. And clearly that didn't happen. We're at 52 days into this war, a war that he thought he could win in three days. So he's in a bad situation here. So now basically what he's doing, when you think about the possibility of Sweden and uh, Finland joining NATO, which is troublesome to him, and you think about all these NATO countries supplying all these weapons and ammunition and military equipment to uh, to Ukraine, he's upset. And he's basically, not directly, but he's basically suggesting nuclear war. You remember what he said here. He said, um, these... Russia's response will lead to consequences that you've never experienced in your history. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Donald Trump, remember? Oh, if you do this, I'm going to do that, and it's going to be the worst thing in history. Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump seem to be almost the same guy. I think Vladimir's a little smarter, but now he's gone a little crazy, so I don't know. They might be on a par. But he's basically threatening nuclear war. 
Now, a lot of people worry about that, and I don't think you need to because there's a bigger process to starting a nuclear war than Vladimir Putin getting mad and just hitting a button. It doesn't work that way. There's more of a process. And you've got people around him that maybe aren't crazy and realize that if they get into a nuclear war, their friends, families, and everything around them is going to be gone. They're going to think twice before they follow through with something like that that Vladimir Putin might direct them to do. And that may be the tipping point where they say, you know, fuck, we got to get this guy out of here. He's going to get us killed. He's going to destroy the planet, and he doesn't give a fuck. So when he starts making these threats about nuclear war, don't don't get too upset. Don't get too worried. I know there's a lot of people out there, oh, I'm so worried there's going to be a nuclear war. I'm so worried. Don't worry about it. It's for two reasons. <laughs> one is a good feeling. The other one is a bad feeling. Good feeling is it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to let that happen. It's just not going to happen. Now, if the worst happens and it does happen, don't worry about it because you won't even know it fucking happened. That's the sad thing. But I'm kidding about that. It's not going to happen. Do not worry about that bullshit at all. All right, the last story. I this one kind of annoys me, and uh, I think I think differently about this guy than a lot of folks do. But we'll see. There's a story out about Elon Musk wanting to buy Twitter. Now I already made a stake in Twitter. He owns about nine percent of Twitter right now, but now he wants to buy the company for forty-three billion dollars, which is a fair offer given what it is. So why does he want to do this? I mean, he's one of the richest men in the world. His company, Tesla, is worth like a trillion dollars. So why would you want to do that? Now, Musk has called Twitter essentially a world town square, which in his mind is a bad thing. He says he wants to make it a private company where he's just the owner. He wants to update it and change it somehow. And I don't know exactly how he might do that. But uh, that's what he wants to do. Now, Twitter is, in fact, an older app and maybe needs some updating. I mean, that's the thing about apps, you know. Remember MySpace? That was so hot, but nobody thinks about it now. All these apps, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok for that matter, they have a shelf life. Eventually, something will come along that's better, and people will jump on that and forget about the other. And Twitter has been around a long time. I won't say that they're coming to an end because they're hugely popular. But now Elon Musk wants to come in, take it over, and change it up and make it his own. Now, why does he want to do that? And here's the thing I see with Elon Musk. He seems to be a bit of a shit stirrer. You know what I mean? You know what he did with the cryptocurrency stuff. He'd go on and say, oh, I'm really excited about Dogecoin or or Bitcoin or whatever the fuck he was. And every time he paid attention to that, the prices on those things skyrocketed. So he bought into it. He bought into it. And then after a while, he got bored and said, fuck it, I'm pulling out. But what happened there? Just by virtue of him showing interest in this cryptocurrency, he invests in it, it goes way up, he pulls it out, he makes a fucking huge profit. So maybe he does want to own Twitter. Maybe he does want to change it and do something differently. 
But the problem is, is maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just wants to stir shit up. Take his 9% stake and double it or triple it or whatever. But he knows how to get attention. And he knows that a lot of people will follow him if he does something. So he could be very seriously just going into Twitter, just trying to gin it up so that he can get it up in price and then pull out and walk away and said, yeah, I decided I don't want to do that. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) And this is why I think Elon Musk is a little evil. I mean, I know a lot of people like him. They like the Tesla cars. They think he's funny. They think he's goofy. But I always thought there's something off about him. I don't know what it is. I get that sense about some people. I see them and I go, yeah, they seem fine, but uh, there's something not right there. And I get that feeling with Elon Musk. Now, he wants to make some changes. And what's interesting, you remember the story about the kid on Twitter that figured out a way to track Elon Musk's plane everywhere. And Elon Musk did not like it. So he went to the kid and said, listen, man, if you stop doing that, I'll give you five grand. Kid said, fuck that. You're a billionaire, a trillionaire. (laughs) I want more than that. Well, Elon Musk was... uh, wasn't willing to give him more money. Now, I'm not saying he's trying to buy Twitter to kick this kid off. I doubt that. But there's a lot of things on there. There's some naysayers for Elon Musk on Twitter, and maybe he wants to control it a little bit more. But here's where the problem lies. Twitter's very successful. A lot of people use Twitter. Now, if he comes in there and changes everything up and he makes a mistake then he's got a $43 billion app that isn't worth shit because everybody else went to TikTok or something else. They like what they like. They like what they have. And if he wants to change it up, he could be making a very big mistake by trying to change it and then risking losing two-thirds of the uh, users because then whatever he bought isn't worth nearly as much as what he paid for it. It's hard to say what Elon Musk is doing in this situation. He's done this kind of thing a lot. He likes to stir things up. He likes to try to make a profit. And he doesn't seem to give a shit about anybody. He just doesn't give a shit. And that's what I feel is off about this guy when I watch him. He's got all the money in the world, one of the richest men in the world. But he still plays these little games. He'll show up on Joe Rogan and talk shit and smoke pot on the air. He'll get in trouble, but he doesn't care because he's got all kinds of money. He'll do the shit with the cryptocurrency, leaving everybody else out to dry, and he'll make a profit. One of the things he could be doing with Twitter, it's something he said to Twitter when he made the offer of $43 billion for Twitter. He said that's a fair offer. Your people should like it. Your investors should like that. But if you decide not to sell it to me for $43 billion, because that's my final offer, I'll have to rethink my stake in your company. You see, what he's trying to do here is here's $43 billion. Take it, or I'm going to rethink my stake. Now, that could be a couple of things. He could either decide to go and buy more shares by bits and pieces until he gets a larger amount of um, 
ownership in Twitter, and then ultimately tried to do some, uh, what do they call it, uh, um, hostile takeover. He could be trying to do that. Or the other thing he could do is by owning 9%, if he gets pissed off because he can't buy this thing for $43 billion, he'll say, yeah, I'm going to change my status. Fuck it. I'm selling my 9%. And when he sells that 9%, that will tank the, uh, the stock market on Twitter. So Twitter's kind of in a bad spot here. He's in a real bad spot. And so Musk is just kind of dicking with him. And I'm not sure why. And don't get me wrong. I'm not protecting Twitter. I don't do a lot on Twitter. I got a little presence there, but I have no followers. And I really just don't care. I don't like the platform at all. It's just not me. But uh, so, I, you know, if Twitter went away tomorrow, for me, it wouldn't make a difference. But I know for a lot of you, it's important. And I want you to be able to continue to have that outlet, that platform to work from. And so... He's playing a game here. He's trying to push the people or the uh, group of people that own Twitter into a corner, the investors, because it is a public company right now. Um, but he's pushing them in a quarter. I own 9%. Here's an offer for $43 billion. Take it or shit's going to happen. Either I'm going to buy more and make a hostile takeover, or I'm going to dump 9% of the stock just like that, and the money you have in this company is going to drop like a fucking rock. Does that sound like a benevolent guy? No. It's all about money for him. It's all about attention. And if you think he's a wonderful guy and he wants to uh, do what's right for this country with the space thing and the electric cars and all that stuff, don't. Because he doesn't care fucking anything about the country or about the people in this country. I just worry about him, this whole thing with Twitter. I don't think about it much because, as I say, I don't use Twitter that much. But we got to keep a close eye on this guy. He's one of the richest men in the world, and he can do some serious damage if he fucks around just a little bit. So keep an eye out for Elon Musk, and let's see what he does with the uh, Twitter offer and see if he ends up being the owner. And if he does end up being the owner, what he does. Does he make it better, or does he fuck it up? Can he afford to lose $43 billion? Yeah, I think he probably can. Uh, at least with investors he might bring along. But there's something weird about this whole situation. I don't trust Elon Musk, and I'll be watching it closely to see what actually happens. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast for yet another show. If you have questions, comments, complaints, by all means, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, find the Rational Boomer podcast, and leave me a voicemail. And once again, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to just sit and listen to me. That is uh, quite an honor for me, and I appreciate it very much. So you have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.